All right. Well, welcome again. Um, it's good to see you guys. I like it when, uh, I remember I would do it sometimes when I was leading worship, but the music drops back and you can hear the people singing. It's just, it's a really good choir, so that's fun. I, I like hearing everybody singing. Uh, thank you for being here today. I uh, appreciate you making time out of your Sunday to be here with us, and uh, I hope that you're expecting God to do something to speak to you today, uh, because I, I think today's message uh, can really hit home for some of us. Uh, if you have any tithes or offerings that you would like to give, you can give back at the kiosk there, or you can give at lifechurchutah.com. Thank you for your continued faithfulness in giving. Because of you guys, we are able to keep the doors open and continue to do ministry and, and outreaches. And uh, I know God will bless you because of your faithfulness. Uh, he's proven faithful in my personal life, and I know that he will do the same for you. Um, and I don't have a slide for this one, but I just wanted to give a heads up. We had a couple of families that, uh, due to COVID and family loss, had to transition back to California. Um, Joe and Crystal, they have moved back, and then Chris and Brittany and their families have gone back. So I just ask that you keep them in your prayers uh, as they are going through a lot as a, a family. Um, it's one thing to lose somebody, but then to have to move states because of it, taking care of uh, the different responsibilities. So we will miss them. It was an honor to uh, minister to them and with them. Uh, uh, Crystal was constantly involved in all of our outreaches, uh, doing the backpacks, the trunk or treat, uh, the women's, and Joe was our photographer. So um, we got some shoes to fill. They will be missed, but um, keep them in your prayers. So I'm excited to continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. We've been in it now for four weeks, and I know that me personally, I have been challenged by what we have unpacked. You know, three weeks ago, we looked at this idea that our faith stirs the heart of God and brings with it hope and healing. We looked at the story of the paralytic, how his friends lowered him through the roof uh, of the house that Jesus was at, and Jesus saw their faith, and their faith moved him to touch his life, and I, I challenged us with this question, what are you expecting God to do in 2021? 2020 was such a crazy year. What are we expecting him to do this year? Can he see our faith? And a couple weeks ago, we looked at the story of the man with the deformed hand, and we talked about that Jesus sees you. He notices you, and because he notices you, we don't have to act like we have it all together. We don't have to be pretty on the outside and, be, and have a, a deformed or, or withered heart. But if we are vulnerable before God, who sees and who notices, and if we're vulnerable with one another, we open ourselves up to a breakthrough. And our takeaway was vulnerability reveals our humanity and need for Jesus, which leads to breakthrough. <clears throat> Excuse me. And last week we unpacked this idea that if we know and understand who is with us, we will make it through the storm. We looked at the story of 
the disciples and Jesus going across the Sea of Galilee. And while they were on the water, a storm arose. And um, I played out the scenario that I, I believe that the, the fishermen were the ones trying to keep the, uh, the boat afloat, and the other ones went to find Jesus. And where did they find him? Sleeping. Uh, and I, I related that with, well, see, Jesus, while he was here, was 100% human and understood what it was to have fatigue, to be tired, and, and needed to rest, and that at the same time, he's 100% God. So when he stepped out onto the, the bow of that boat and said, quiet, be still, nature knew who was speaking to it, and it had to obey. It had to submit, linking this idea that if we are going through tough times in life and recognize who is in the boat with us, that we can make it through the storm. Jesus will be with us. Who is with you in the boat? <clears throat> Now, I can't, I, I can and I can't really explain what God has been stirring inside of me personally. It, the, the last few weeks, couple months has really uh, been, God's been working on, on my heart. He's been working on um, my spirit. When I see the condition of our world, of our country, you know, even in our local communities, uh, my heart aches, my heart breaks. Uh, I was just downtown on Friday um, picking up some equipment for Pepsi, and the, I used to live down there, and what it has become is heartbreaking. I mean, there at that restaurant, you saw uh, feces by the, the front door. You saw the needles that were scattered around because of the drug use. And it, it, it's, I know if it pains me, it pains God. And all of this to say, even back when I was leading worship here, I have believed that God wants to and is going to pour out his spirit again. That we, <clears throat> in this generation, will see another great awakening before he returns. I believe that with all my heart because it is his desire that none should perish. It is his desire to see people made whole and, and to not be hurting and in so much pain. Because there's so many people out there without direction or hope. You know, and we have so many people that are, you know, perishing due to the lack of knowledge or understanding of who Jesus is. You know, we are in desperate need of restoration to be a people, to be a church that are reliant on God, trusting in his guidance, his wisdom, forsaking our own fleshly desires and seeking hard after his kingdom, to be a people that love justice and holiness and offer grace and forgiveness as it was offered to us through Jesus. Now, when Allison and I... <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got a, I've got a frog in my throat, and it keeps come, wanting to come out, or not come out. Um, when Allison and I moved our little family from Stansbury into Tooele, we were needing a little more space. You see, we were living in a townhome that was about 1,000 square feet, two bedrooms, one and a half bath. It was good for people that didn't have any kids. And then we had Ava, and it's like, all right, we got one bedroom. 
then we had Harrison, and now they're sharing a bedroom. And it's like once they become teenagers, they're going to want their own space. I mean, you know, you, you can make it work if you have to make it work. Thank you, Pete. And, um, but we thought, you know, let's see what we can find out there. Let's, let's begin the search. And so the search started in Stansbury, and Allison was even flirting with this idea of going back to the big city. And I was like, no, I, I don't want to, no, please. Let's, let's stay over here. Let's even go, you know, further, a little more rural. But uh, <laughs> uh, we got an amen in the back there. And uh, so we began looking, and, and we really couldn't find anything. Salt Lake was so expensive outside of our budget. And we found this home in Stansbury. And, man, I, I don't know if it was because I was so sick of looking for houses. I don't remember how many we looked at. I think it was somewhere around 15, something like that. And we couldn't find anything. We found this one house. And it had good curb appeal, fell in love with the backyard. But the house layout was like, eh, it's all right. It was a multi-level, so you come in, and you've got the little family room that drops off of the kitchen, and we, we could have made that work. It was definitely more space, and, but that house was also too high in, for our budget, uh, so we did what any home buyer would do, and we lowballed them, and so we give them an offer, and I even went so far as to write a letter to the owners, like, hey, I can see my family growing here. I, my kids, I could see them playing in the backyard, eating dinner here in this nook. I would park my motorcycle in the same place as you did. I, I could really see this being a great home for our family. And we heard nothing, and we heard nothing, and then was finally like, all right, they, either they didn't get the letter or the letter had no effect on them. So the search continued. And this time we took the search and spread it outside of Stansbury and decided to look into Tooele. I think we even flirted with the idea of maybe Grantsville. Um, and we stumbled upon this house that we are in now. And it had really nice, good curb appeal. It was really cute on the outside. I, I loved it. And um, so we get the, the realtor, we go inside, and the inside was a stark contrast from the outside. The inside, the first thing that hit you was the smell of the cigarette smoke and the animal urine. Um, it was pungent. Uh, the carpets were destroyed by animal claws. Uh, the linoleum looked terrible. As you can see, the walls were a fabulous color of rust orange and white and gray stripes. Um, the bathroom, one bathroom was green, the other one sky blue. Uh, Ava's room had a mural painted on it that would have been cool if it was done nicely. Um, it was, it was, man, it needed some TLC. She needed some love. But as we walked through the house, we go downstairs, and I fell in love with the basement. The basement was finished, and it's, it's huge. It is the size of the, the house upstairs. So it's one giant room with two bedrooms and a bathroom down there. And we got done, and Allison's like, I, I, I don't know. Like, Allison, see it for what it could be, not what it is. This is all, we can get rid of carpet, we can get rid of linoleum, we can paint, we can do these things. It has good bones. Let's take the good bones and do something with it. 
And I, I promise, I'm like, if you absolutely hate it in a couple of years, we should be able to recoup our, our money, and we'll sell it, and we'll go somewhere else. So I convince her to buy it, and um, the work begins. And I'm not a contractor, but I took on a bulk of the demo, and with the help of my father-in-law and his uh, work partner, we began to work on the house and pulled out the closet there by the front door and, and eliminated that, that wall. And little by little, this house that was so gross and dingy and smelly, when we pulled out the carpet, we pulled out the flooring, it, it began to find new life. It began to feel different. And we uh, started painting. And as we did that, the house seemed to feel different. It, it began to feel like a different home. And so <clears throat> we started putting in the, the tile floors and, and everything. You can go to that next one. This is a little video. I realized as I was putting this together, I do not, I never took a picture of the finished product. So it was like I, I did these little videos. Allison laughed at me. I would do uh, little snippets every night, like, hey, this is what we did tonight. And I never did a final. So this is kind of a walkthrough after we had the floors done, the carpet was in. Everything was pretty much painted. But this house that no one wanted to live in became something new. It smelled new. It looked new. It felt new. It was a new place, a new home. It had been restored. Today we're going to look at a story where Jesus does some restoring. And it's someone that the locals would have never expected. We find the story in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Now, this text that we're going to look at today is a topic that we have not covered yet, and there's a lot to cover, so I apologize now. I will probably go a little long. But I'm going to attempt to break down and, and share with you uh, this story and show you how... Uh, the character of God and the character of the devil and how it's God's desire to restore what the enemy has taken, what he has destroyed. And I, I came to this thought that restoration and wholeness are found through the power and grace of Jesus. Restoration and wholeness are found through the power and grace of Jesus. Let's go to Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 20. It's a lot of a lot of text, but it's good. I want you to get the whole story, so I'm going to read it to you. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came, to the, came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot and tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus said to him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. 
A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that through this story we will learn, we will see that you are in the business of restoring. You are in the business of making people whole. So I pray as we go through this, you would open our ears to hear, our minds to understand and know, to hear what your spirit is saying. We bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Jesus and the disciples have made it from the other side and have arrived to a place called the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, this region is about six miles south uh, east of Capernaum. The exact location of this particular story is not known. Um, but they, they speculate uh, it's on the southern end. There, there was a little town there about 35 miles inland uh, that kind of shared a similar name. But right there on the shoreline, you have this uh, place where you could dock your boat, and then there was a, a hillside that would house pigs, and then a couple miles away from that were caves that could have served as the tombs and where the man was living from our story. But... They arrived there, and we're not sure if this was Jesus' only journey to this place. Because, see, most of Jesus' ministry was done to the for the children of Israel. He was there for the lost sheep of Israel and did most of his ministry in, in Galilee, in Capernaum, there among the Jewish people. And this seems kind of like a one-off, because in this region, it would have been uh, predominantly Gentile, people that weren't Jewish, you know, thus giving... Uh, they're being pigs on the hillside because according to Jewish law, pigs were unclean. And so the Jewish people couldn't herd them. They couldn't eat them. They couldn't sacrifice them. So they would have not been anywhere near Jewish society. So the, Jesus and the disciples get there. They get off the boat, and they are countered by a man with an unclean spirit or is demon-possessed. And we're not given information. We don't have a backstory of this man why he is this way. We don't know how he became to be uh, possessed. What we do know is there is a destructive nature to this possession. He lived in the tombs. He was outcast, not allowed to be a part of society. I don't know if, now this is pure speculation, maybe he was in town and he co constantly caused a commotion. That's why they would bind him. And then they finally just said, we can't even bind him. 
Let's get him out and let him live among the tombs. So I would assume that there would be shame that this man was carrying. He possessed supernatural strength. The people, like I said, tried to bind him with chains and with irons, and he, con- he was able to break them easily, and he would cry out day and night and cut himself with stones. He was destructive towards himself, showing the destructive nature of the devil. And what we need to understand is we are made in the image of God. And the enemy of our soul does not like that image. He hates that image. And he is going to do whatever he can to destroy it or distort it. And that's what we see with this man. He is trying to get him to destroy it because he's constantly cutting himself, hurting himself. And he has definitely distorted it because he is an outcast of society. The devil does one thing. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Understand, he does not care for you. He does not love you. He does not want what is best for you. There is no life in him. There's only destruction and lies and ruin and ultimately death. Like I said, we don't know how he became this way. But we know that it had to be invited somehow, some way. Now, I'm not suggesting this man set out to be uh, possessed by a demon, but possibly rather through little things in life, little justifications opened the door to it. Superstition, fortune-telling, harmless occult games or practices, spiritism, drug-taking, all of these different things can open the door to this type of spiritual activity in your life. You know, people often get involved with the occult or, or demonic things because there's something that seems to be at work. Well, it's not something, it's someone. And that's the enemy of your soul. And he's going to do what he can to destroy it. And it's these demons that take notice of Jesus and pursue him. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Here we see that the demon recognizes and proclaims who Jesus is. Now, I read a lot of commentary on this while I was studying for it. Some commentary suggests that it was a a power play, that you could uh, show that you were superior by announcing the full name of who it is that you are uh, in front of, who you are challenging. Others suggest that is because they genuinely know who was in front of them. I'm going to go with the latter. They genuinely knew who it was that was before them by what they said, swear to God that you won't torture me. You see, we have the ability in 2021 to know the end of the story. We know who wins. We know where the battle is going to go. We know that Jesus is victorious over everything. Over, We know that at the cross, he defeated hell, sin, and the grave. In this moment, they didn't know that. And so the, the devil and his demons know what is going to come. 
They know God is going to win. And they were, you, you see time and time again as, as Jesus has interaction with them, don't send us into the abyss. Don't destroy us before our time. And I think that they were concerned that this was the time. But you see, Jesus still had a work to do on the cross. He had to defeat the problem of sin first. He had to defeat the devil and temptation and bring salvation to mankind. So in this moment, it was not that time. And Jesus asks them, what is your name? Now, from the stories we've even read in Mark, Jesus didn't really have to ask this question. He was sitting in rooms with people, and he was knowing the thoughts of the Pharisees, knowing the thoughts of his disciples. It was, I think, more of a rhetorical question, and maybe even to show the severity of this man's condition, that it was worse than it looked like on the outside. Here was a man that couldn't be controlled, not by people, not by himself. I'm sure he came across as crazy. I mean, imagine if someone is up Middle Canyon or Settlement Canyon, and they're roaming around day and night, screaming and cutting themselves. We would probably deem them as crazy. Right? They're outside of their mind. Like, let that guy do what he... Let him do. You, you do you, boo. <laughs> <clears throat> but after giving a name, they still were quite concerned about being cast out of that region. And again, we don't know why, what it was about that region that they didn't want to leave there. But they were concerned, and there was the herd of pigs. And they, they asked, hey, let us go over there. Don't cast us out. Don't send us away, but let us go to the pigs. And Jesus permits it. Why? Why did he permit it? Well, I had a couple thoughts. One, to get the attention of the people. Because of this one thing, it drew a crowd. These people didn't know Jesus. It was a, a Gentile population. They didn't know uh, Jesus and who he was. So by these pigs going into the sea and drowning, drew a crowd. And I did read that it, it's been speculated that this uh, community, that this society was, could have been of uh, a Hellenistic uh, religion or viewpoint, which means they worshipped the god of Zeus and, and all the Greek gods. And because of that, pigs were the main sacrifice of Zeus. So that would, could explain why there were so many pigs. So it could be also a, uh, a, a move of, I have authority over these deities, kind of like uh, Moses and the uh, Egypt, uh, the Exodus. Now, I think it was also to show the destructive nature of Satan. All the demons wanted to do was torture and destroy. And that's what they were attempting to do with the man, but were unsuccessful. And that's why the pigs drowned. And perhaps it was also to set up a future ministry in the region. Remember, I said that most of Jesus' ministry was to the Jewish people, and that this story was kind of a one-off. I think Jesus wanted to show that this kingdom of heaven that he was proclaiming was not just for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. That with this story as a precursor in the region, and what Jesus would accomplish on the cross, people would be open to hearing the gospel. So what happens next? Those tending the pigs run into the city and start talking, and a crowd comes out to see Jesus. 
And when they arrived, they saw the man that had been demon-possessed sitting clothed and in his right mind. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been, demon, who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. Right here is where I want to take a break or break away for a moment from our story. This is what Jesus does. This is who he is. You see, the ways of man seem right to him. It says that in Proverbs 21, verse 2. All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. You know, I can plan, I can scheme, I can plot, I can be led by my own heart, and that can seem right to me, but it is not. That's why Jeremiah wrote, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You see, this is why it seems right for people to live according to their own truth. We've all heard that statement. It's my truth. I live in my truth. Truth is perspective. I'm sorry, friends. There's absolute truth. And here is the absolute truth. Truth is not relative. Truth is truth. And if we take away absolute truth from God's word, then what good is truth? There is no truth. Truth is not relative. So that's why we see TV being inundated with homosexuality and it's deemed okay. Or the United States now funds abortions in other countries. Or pornography is taught as okay and normal. Our movies are filled with nudity, lust, perverse humor and language, and no one bats an eye. Drug use is legalized and alcoholism is glorified as a good time. To the heart of man, it seems okay. But you see, when we give the enemy an inch, I guarantee you he will take a mile every time. You can't dabble. You can't pretend. You know, Satan's number one goal is to make you believe the lie that your destruction is a good time. That your destruction is worth it. YOLO, you only live once, so I'm going to live and love however I want. Except that path, it leads to death. It leads to chains. It leads to depression, anxiety, hopelessness. And Satan is laughing all the way to the bank. Now enter Jesus. Jeremiah said there was no cure and asked, who could understand it? His name is Jesus. He gets it, and he can cure it. He takes what is broken and fixes it. He takes what is torn and he mends it. Jesus removes the confusion and puts us in our right minds. He clears out the junk. He takes away the past, the hurts, the hang-ups. He heals. He makes whole. He renews. He restores. He restores. You know, remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about having withered hearts like the Pharisees, and I referenced it at the beginning of the message. I think of my house. My house looked nice on the outside, but inside it needed a lot of work. Once inside, we began to change things, upgrade things, make things new, renew things that could be used. This is what Jesus does in our heart. Once you invite him into your heart, he begins to work. You know what, Forrest? Let's get rid of that habit. Forrest, you know that dream? Let's breathe some new life into that. Hey, Forrest, 
that pain, that regret that you've been holding on to, let it go. You're new. You're a new creation. See, Jesus took this man that was an outcast, someone that no one wanted, a person that was hurting themselves, a person that was broken, and said, I see you, I love you, and I'm going to restore you. Well, how did the people react? They freaked out and asked Jesus to leave. See, people sometimes won't understand your transformation. They will see it. It will be obvious because you will be a new creation. And it might push some people away. And it might require you to push some people away to get the bad influences out of your life and create new friendships with believers that can walk with you, that can sharpen you, that can encourage you. You know, but we got to do what this man did. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Our new life in Christ is now about Christ. It's about pursuing him. It's about knowing him and beginning this journey, this walk of faith with him. He has to become our priority. What did Jesus say? Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. You see, he'd been changed and Jesus needed him to go to work. The same is true for us. God has changed our lives because of his sacrifice. He has restored us. Now it's time for us to go out and tell our story. It's time for us to go to our families. It's time for us to go to our neighbors. It's time for us to go to our workplaces and tell people about Jesus. We want change. We want things to be different. And we think, you know, I referenced it, it's not going to happen because we get a new president or a new congressman or congresswoman. It starts in our home. It starts by me teaching my kids. And then it just starts with me going to my neighbor and telling them that Jesus loves them, that he wants to restore you. He wants to restore your marriage. He wants to provide for you and walk with you. And then that goes into the community. And then we see change happen little by little by little through our communities. There is nothing more powerful than your story of what Jesus has done in your life. I can't deny your story of Jesus changing your life. It's powerful. It is powerful. And then the same thing will happen in our community that happens there. And all the people were amazed. My friends, restoration and wholeness are found through the power and grace of Jesus. Restoration and wholeness are found through the power and grace of Jesus. Now today I want to end our service a little different than we normally do, and I know I'm long. But I, I wanted to have a moment where we could just come together and pray. I've asked uh, Pete and Connie if they would come pray. 
And we're just going to take uh, a few minutes. Allison introduced me to a, a new worship song. We're going to have that playing. And, and I encourage you, if you need prayer, come up and be prayed for. But also, growing up, this area up here, this one step, was called the altar. Why was it called the altar? Because this is where you could come and lay down your burden. You could lay down your pain. You could lay down the hurt. You could lay down your life there before Jesus and have that moment of intimacy with him. So we're going to open up this altar. Come pray uh, individually. Come pray with me or with Pete and Connie. But I just want to take the next few minutes and open up this time for for some prayer. Spirits of rushing As we repent and turn from sin, revival in the smoldering breath of God, fan us into flame. We need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit
My friends, our God is in the work of restoration. He is in the business of bringing hope, of bringing peace, of bringing joy, of bringing strength when you feel like you're weak. That is what he does. That is who he is. So to piggyback off of last week's message, invite him into your boat. Invite him in and allow him to lead you, to guide you. Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for these people. I ask, Lord, that you would get a hold of our hearts, that you would stir within us, Lord, that you are in the business of restoring. And I pray that whatever it is we're going through, that we would be willing, be able to lay it at your feet and ask for that restoration. That that's the one thing that this man did. That the initial thing he did is he ran to the feet of Jesus and he fell down before him. Help us to come, to humble ourselves and come before you and cry out to you. I pray, Father, that you would bless your people, that you would walk with them, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them peace, that you would give them hope. And that we would take our story into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, and tell of what you have done, that you would get glory and all the people would be amazed at what you can do. We bless you, Father. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. 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 Okay. We're going to leave this open. We're going to play that song again. If you still want to stay and pray, you are more than welcome. Um, but I love you guys. I thank you for being here. And uh, God's going to do some good stuff in this place because of you, because of who he is in you. And I'm excited for it. I love you guys, and I can't wait to see you next week. God bless. of heaven, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hearts that burn, holy fear, you 
Presence of heaven for you.